Well, praise God. Well, we're going to go ahead and continue on with our study into the book of 1 Corinthians. So, uh, as we looked at last week, Paul began to deal with an issue of the Corinthian Christians. We were, were taking part of eating the food that was sacrificed to idols in the temples. And the reason why that was an issue was not because what they were doing was wrong. They surmised correctly that, that yes, food offered to idols, meat offered to idols was actually nothing. The idols aren't real. They don't amount to anything. It's, it's not a, a big deal. There was nothing to it. So the question was, why was, was, there, was there an issue? And Paul said that what you guys aren't thinking about, even though you do have it right, you do have the right to, to eat those, that food offered to idols. It doesn't mean anything. You're Christians. The food that you eat doesn't make you holy. It's Jesus Christ inside of you. The problem was that it can cause problems for other people. So Paul says that, yeah, you're no longer under the law. You're free from sin. You're free from life, free from all that stuff. But we still have to be careful with our liberties, take care with our liberties to ensure that somebody else doesn't stumble. Amen? And that's, that's, uh, that's what he was warning us last week was to take great care. Now this week, though, Paul begins to give a defense for his apostleship. He begins to give a defense because it seemed like the people in, in the, the city of Corinth were beginning to think that maybe he uh, uh, didn't have the authority that he says he had. He didn't have the, the, uh, the rights to be an apostle, or maybe he didn't know what he was talking about. They were questioning his authority and his position as an apostle. As apostle. As an apostle. That's a new title in the church. I just made it up right now. As an apostle. And uh, uh, so basically he comes from, it's, it seems like it's a really weird transition. He comes from, from this statement of saying that, yes, you have the, the right to eat meat, but take care with your freedoms, to this, uh, this idea that, 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 am I not an apostle? And he begins to defend this and his rights. He goes from, from saying that, you know what, um, as a believer, I would give up my right to eat meat to not make somebody stumble. And then he jumps into his rights as an apostle and begins to explain them to the people. And he says, he says, you know what, I have these rights and I want to talk about my freedom to exercise them or not exercise them. And one of these things that he's talking about, he says, as an apostle, do we not have the right to eat or drink? And we're going to see later that when he says these things, they don't make a whole lot of sense. You're like, well, he's a person. Of course he has the right to eat or drink. That's just silly. But what he's talking about is actually is, do I not have the right to eat or drink while the church supports me? He's basically saying, does I not have the right for the church to support me as an apostle? He says, do I not have the right to have a wife? He says, do I not have the right to, 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 to not work in addition to ministry? He says, I'm an apostle. Do I not have these rights? And it doesn't really appear that these two chapters, chapter 8, and then this is uh, the beginning of chapter 9 that we're going to look at today, it doesn't seem like they, have, they fit together. They don't make any sense. But the reality is, as we're going to see, that as Paul talks about this stuff, that he is he's explaining to them that, hey, as, as a Christian, you have rights. You have the right to eat whatever you want to eat. You can eat meat sacrificed to idols. It doesn't matter. It's not going to affect your, affect your salvation. It's not going to affect your spiritual well-being. But you may want to be careful with that right because it could affect somebody else. So then Paul begins to explain his right as an apostle, but also describes how he's chosen to give up those rights in order to reach the, city, the people that are in the city uh, of Corinth. He gave up those rights that he has as an apostle. Basically, he wasn't just up there preaching at them. He was actually doing what he was preaching. And that's what we're going to look at today. Amen? 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 through 2, it says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Or not, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So like I said, somebody begins calling Paul's apostleship into question. They're looking at how he's living his life and how he's doing things, and they're beginning to say, wait a minute, if you were an apostle, wouldn't you be doing this? Wouldn't you be doing that? They begin to look at his life and they begin to question, is he, is he really who he says he is? Does he really have the authority that he says that he does? Should we let him speak into our lives? And it seemed that one of the things that they took great offense to, and this kind of cracks me up when I, when I think about this, but one of the things that they took great offense to was his refusal to receive material support to those who he was ministering to. They were looking at him and saying, he's not accepting any money. He's not letting people take care of them. He's out there working. As you know, that Paul worked every single day with Barnabas. They were, they were tent makers. And they were working and working hard. And, and people were actually looking at this and going, well, an apostle wouldn't work. An apostle wouldn't do those things. So maybe, maybe if he's not doing that, maybe he's not really an apostle at all. Maybe he doesn't really have the authority to say, because if he did, surely he would be receiving something for it. Surely he would be asking these people to support them. And the truth is, it's not that Paul didn't believe that he didn't have the right to do so. Paul believed uh, scripturally, and we're going we're to look and see that not only will he look at it scripturally, but he'll just look at some basic examples in the world that says, doesn't this show that I have a right to receive support? But he wanted to ensure that no one thought that he was in it just for the money. He wanted to make sure that nobody thought that it, this was just a job that paid well. And the truth is, is that we see the same thing today, but from a different aspect. The problem is, is there's actually a lot of, of famous uh, ministers or evangelists that, you know, they fly in a private jet to and from everywhere they're going. And they've been provided well by the Lord. But the problem is, is that uh, in doing so, taking it to such an extreme, extreme, people are actually discrediting what they're doing because it looks like they're just doing it for the money. It looks like they're just in it for the nice jet, the nice clothes, the, 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 the fame and the fortune that comes along with it. And the truth is, there's plenty of celebrity pastors, celebrity evangelists, and that's maybe what they're in it for. I don't know. It's not my job to judge someone's heart. I know how I feel about it personally. I'm never going to price myself out of the ministry. You guys that know, that know me and how things go here, I haven't received one cent from the church since we started. I work full time because I believe that the gospel is more important. I believe, now that's not to say that someday I'm not going to want to go full time, but we're not there yet. And I'm willing to sacrifice and work hard because I believe that it's important that you guys are fed, that you guys receive the gospel, and even more importantly, that this community has somebody that's going to reach out into it and share the love of Christ with them. But Paul wasn't taking money. He wasn't taking advantage of people. He was, he, wasn't, he was in it for the people, not the money. He wanted to touch their lives. It was, a matter of fact, one of the craziest things Paul ever said, and, and this is something that I aspire to have a heart like this, but I don't yet. But he said, I would be accursed if all my Jewish brethren would receive the gospel. He said, I would trade my salvation to make sure that all my, my, my fellow Jewish men and women, that they would get saved. That is crazy, y'all. He cared about people. 
That's a time. I mean, if you think about that, would you give up your salvation for your friends, for your family, for your country? That's a tall order. But the truth is, is I, sp- I aspire to have that kind of heart. And I'm working, I'm getting there, I'm growing each and every day. God is touching me. He's making me see people in, in a different way than I ever have before. And I want to give, I want to make sure that they have hear the gospel, that they know it. But that's what Paul, that's what Paul, Paul's living his life. Not receiving anything. Instead, he is just pouring out into these people. And he begins, as he begins to defend his apostleship, he, he asks a few questions. Am I not free? Well, that's a silly question. Of course he was. He wasn't there at anybody's behest. He was there. And that's what we want to talk about. He's a slave to the gospel. He's a slave to righteousness. But he was there because he loved people. He says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? I want you to know these questions here, that the way that they're written in the Greek, they're rhetorical questions. It's, it's expected that the answer is yes. So am I not free? Yes, I'm free. Am I not an apostle? Yes, I'm an apostle. Am I not, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Yes, he did. Matter of fact, if you want to read about that, you can jump over to, to Acts chapter 9 for the, de- for the details, right? He spoke to G. He had a Damascus Road experience where Jesus came and spoke to him. It wasn't exactly a friendly conversation, to be honest with you, to start it out. But he spoke to G. Jesus commissioned him. And then finally says, he says, If not to others, I am not an apostle. At least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. See, the, actually the most important question that Paul was asking, the one that Paul, Paul doesn't explain these three, but he spends some time on this one. Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? This was what was most important to Paul. He was pouring into people and he says that you are the proof that I'm an apostle. You are the proof because your lives are different. Because you had Jesus Christ come inside of me, inside of you, because I shared him with you, and your lives are different. There's something else going on. You are my proof that I'm an apostle because we're making an impact in this city. This was his proof. He he ministered to them. He walked alongside of them, and they had their hearts changed. They had that supernatural miracle happen inside of them when you received Jesus Christ. These were people that were once walking with no hope. These were people that were lost. They had no hope. They, they, they They were slaves to sin. They were in bondage to death. But then they came and Paul ministered to the city. He started a church, and now these people were walking in freedom. These people were no longer slaves to sin. They were slaves to righteousness. These people were no longer hopeless, but they had hope. He says, you're my seal. You're my proof. He says, even if I'm not considered an apostle to others, at least I am to you. And this reminds me, you know, a few chapters back we talked about Paul. What did he say? He said, if you receive a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, you receive a righteous man's reward. If you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. Well, these people, they received him as an apostle. And they received that reward. And it changed who they were. It began to change their city and change all of those people. And the Corinthian people, these people that he's actually rebuking right now because they're getting a little crazy, they're getting a little wild, they're the ones that he spoke to. They were his seal. They were his proof that he was, in fact, an apostle. And he goes on to say in verse 3, this is my defense to those who would examine me. 
Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Like I said, the, it seems that the problem that the people had with Paul is that he wasn't exercising his rights as an apostle. He wasn't taking money from people. He wasn't forcing them to support them. Instead, he was, he was out there just working right alongside him in the thick of it. He was getting his hands dirty. And this bothered them. And if you think about it, at this time, how these the, how a traveling missionary or a teacher or philosopher was supported was a pretty big deal because many of them did not have jobs. They had, to have, they had to make an income somehow. And the truth is, it's not that much different than traveling missionaries today. They have to earn an income somehow. When they're out working full-time in the mission field, they can't have a regular job. How many know that you can't go, go grab a quick temp job at QT when you're in the middle of the desert in Africa? They have to be supported somehow. They have to have the finances. So they had some options. So they're out there in the field. These philosophers, these teachers, these preachers, they have some options. First thing that they can do is they can charge for their work. They could say, hey, I'm I'm, I'm holding a a seminar. It's going to be enlightening. It's $45 a person. Now, as Christians, it's not really wise because we want to share the gospel. It was given to us freely, so we're going to give it freely as well. Amen? So we don't charge to preach the gospel. We don't charge to share and minister life to people. At least not anymore. I think there were some times in the church there was some crazy stuff like that going on, paying for forgiveness and stuff. But the truth is, is that the gospel is a free gift. God didn't charge for it, so neither are we, amen? So what's the next option? Maybe they can beg. Now, they could go out there and sit on the street begging, panhandling for money, but the truth is that doesn't look like a a strong Christian. I don't think that's going to convert anybody. So the next thing that they can do is work. And that's what Paul and Barnabas, we're going to see Barnabas is is right there alongside Paul on this. That's what they decided to do. They they worked. They were out there making tents. They were working with people. And they 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 were side by side with them. And they didn't expect anything in return because they didn't want there to be any confusion as to why they were doing it. And then the other options that we have is is they can be supported by those who they are ministering to, which is the apostle's right to be supported by those that he's sowing into spiritually. He should be able to reap physically. He's going to show here in a moment. Or they can be supported by those who are sending them out. And that's what we see today with most missionaries. They go around to churches asking for support, and the churches get behind them because that's the mission that we are invested in. We want to see people saved. We want to see people's lives touched. So we invest into them. We pour into them so that we can have a part of what's going on. It's why that at the end of every month we, give, uh, we receive a special offering to Pastor Jack Harris because we want to be a part of the work that he's doing in Kurdistan of Iraq. We want to be able to touch lives over there, and we can't do it personally, so we invest into the missionaries that are over there. So this is, this is the idea that they had in their head as well. It was very common for philosophers and teachers to charge for what they were doing. And Paul wasn't. So they begin to wonder, man, if this guy's not charging, is this, you know, they were starting to think, maybe you get what you pay for. And they begin to question who he was. So he begins to ask these questions. Well, these, this is my defense of those who would examine me. In order to understand these questions correctly, though, for us to, to get our head wrapped around it, the best thing that we can do is at the end of these questions, 
tack on the words at the expense of the church. So if you read this one, he says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? And he's probably referring to him and Barnabas. Do we not have the right to eat and drink at the expense of the church? What he's saying is, do we not have the right for the church to support us, to make sure that we're fed and clothed and have a place to stay? And then he says, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? Once again, at the expense of the church. See, it wasn't common, as he said, or it was very common for the, the apostles and the, the brothers of the Lord. And Peter says that the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, they took along a believing wife. And the expectation here is that they would bring their, li- their wives alongside them and they would be supported as well. They would be taken care of as well. He says, don't I have this right? Don't I have the right to be supported? He says, yes, I do. that, And that's the answer to these questions too, is yes, I have this right. And he said, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? See, Barnabas was in the same boat with Paul. Barnabas and Paul, they traveled alongside together, at least for a time in the first missionary journeys. They ended up getting into it a little bit and separated for a while, I believe. But it says that... Uh, Uh, He was Paul's companion during his first missionary journey, and and he was also considered an apostle. You know, some people think that, no, the apostles were only the the ones that walked with Jesus, and then Paul was added later. But the truth is, is that you can read in Acts 14, 14, that actually Barnabas was referred to as an apostle as well, because he was out there planting churches. He was getting the early church off the ground. And the implication here is that maybe that Barnabas and Paul were the only ones that were out there in the mission field, not receiving any support the implication is that him and barnabas were the only ones that were working every single day to make sure that they weren't a burden on those who were who were helping them and i find it so interesting that the idea that they were supporting themselves was an argument that they weren't who that they they didn't have the authority to do what they were doing i mean can you imagine that can you imagine anybody thinking like that today? Most people think all the time now the church just wants your money. They come up, they, and, and unfortunately, many times, uh, people in the church have taken advantage of people. It's true. And it, it's left a bad taste in people's mouth, and now they think that the church only wants money. The church just wants, wants to take what you have and, and puff up these men in leadership. But Paul was like, I don't even want that to be a, a, possible, a possibility. Nobody can think that. And isn't it funny how the devil turned it around and made him say, oh, maybe because you're not receiving anything, then you're not really who you say, or you have no authority. People actually look down on them for working. But Paul never said that he didn't have the right to receive those things. Paul never said that he shouldn't be taken care of by his work in the ministry. Paul never said that he shouldn't be allowed to have a wife, that he shouldn't be able to have food and drink, that he shouldn't have all these things. He and Barnabas did have that right. In fact, they did have that right. But he chose not to accept it. He chose not to exercise that right because they never wanted it said of them that they were just in it for the money. And like I said, there's so many high-profile pastors and and evangelists in the world today that have had that very thing accused against them. It has destroyed their ministry. And on top of that, it's actually destroyed the ministry of many uh, faithful people that are out there serving the way that they should because, because unfortunately the world has got this idea in their head that that's what, that's what these people are there for is just to steal your money. 
But on the other hand, it goes even different. I once had somebody um, a couple years ago that was coming to our church, and we went out for, for lunch, and they began to ask me, because that's, that is my plan. My goal is to be able to go into full-time ministry. When this church grows to a point where that can be supported, and it doesn't impact the church negatively, then yes, I'm going to, to receive a salary so I can dedicate my, my life full-time to serving the kingdom of heaven. Right now, unfortunately, I'm in a position where I'm very split-brained. If you guys had any idea of what I do on a regular week, you'd probably go insane because I work full-time, about 45 hours a week for Asarco, um, which is a mining company. I work on the, uh, I'm on NIT over there. But then I also work full-time for the church, and, and my wife and I, we have like two hours a week that are free. But we believe it's worth it. And we're never going to do something that would cause the kingdom of, of heaven to, to, to be impacted. You know, the truth is, is, is we could start moving stuff around and say, okay, I'm going to start drawing at least a little bit of money from the church, but then we wouldn't be able to pay the bills and we all be out on the street. I don't want the kingdom of heaven impacted. But I actually had somebody with me who, who began to question. He says, you know, you're always talking about wanting to go full time to dedicate your life wholly to the Lord. And he began to ask me, so what are you going to be doing for that money? And I'm like, well, I'm going to be ministering to people and sharing the gospel and investing into people's lives and teaching and studying and learning. And, and, and we're going to be reaching this community. And, and he couldn't get in his head. He says, well, Paul never worked. Or Paul always worked. Paul never received a, uh, uh, a stipend. And I'm like, yeah, but you're missing the point how he argued that he did have that right. And every other minister, every other apostle did receive that. But just as Paul and Barnabas did not, I will never let my rights interfere with, with the church. I will never price myself so high that I can't be effective in the church. The truth is, if we never grow any bigger, if we never get a bigger base, I will, I will do this for free for the rest of my life because I believe that people need to hear the gospel, that people need to have hope, that people need to receive that love. I'll continue doing that for the rest of my life if I have to. Now pray with me that I don't because it's tiring. <laughs> it's exhausting. But I will if I have to because I believe that you guys are worth it. I believe that the people that live in this city are worth it. Even the ones that aren't lovely, even the ones that seem unlovable, they're worth it. Amen. Jesus didn't give his life just for those of us who are in this room. He gave his life for this entire community, this city, this country. And they need to hear about Jesus. Amen. In verse 7, he begins to make his case. And he says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? So he begins to, to make his earthly argument for being supported. And he starts with the soldier. And it's interesting, I, I, used to, I grew up in, in, in Sierra Vista, at least in my high school years near there, so we had a much tighter community with a, a connection with the base there because the base was, at least when I was there, probably bigger, more people than the actual city of Sierra Vista. We understood uh, how soldiers worked. We interacted with them every day, and I know Tucson has a military base as well, but they're Air Force One, and two, they're... Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was in the Army. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, but also on top of that, they they uh, 
there's just so much more of us here. Some of us don't have that interaction with the military, but if you've ever known anybody in the military or you ever were in the military, you know that, that when you get shipped off the war, they don't ask you to pitch in. They pay for everything. They, they figure that you're going to be giving your life for them. They'll give you what you need. They'll support you. So when I was in the military, I showed up and they, they gave me my uniform. I didn't have to buy my uniform because they issued it to me. I didn't have to buy food. When I was in basic training in AIT, wherever I went, they, you could go to the mess hall. They provided food for you. They provided housing for you. You know, they, I mean, when I was in, they even, they even provided my underwear for me. It was green. It, it wasn't very sexy. It was kind of ugly, green underwear. And then if you had to wear glasses, I didn't wear glasses then, but they issued you glasses. And they were, have you ever seen glasses issued by the military? They're like big, th- we used to call them birth control goggles because <laughs> they are ugly. So fortunately, I got glasses after I got out of the military. But make no mistake, when a government sends somebody to war, they provide for them. They provide their weapon, they provide their ammo, they provide their food, they provide their shelter. And Paul says, who serves as a soldier as his own expense? And then he goes to talk about who plants a, a vineyard without eating any of its fruit. And who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? You see, the truth is, is that when you are, uh, have a farm, and my, 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 my folks, um, not my folks, my mom, well, she did, but my grandpa owned a farm in Iowa, and they raised cattle. And how many know that they raised his cattle, but they didn't go to the store to buy meat? They, they, from the work that they were doing, they received meat from the cattle. Same here for the, that's what he's saying. Who owns a vineyard and then goes out and buys grapes? No, they receive it from the work that they're doing, the work that they're pouring. They're supported by the work that they're doing. Same with those who own a flock. They're supported by the work that they're doing. So Paul's saying, if that's the case, even in the world, even, even you people that are earthly understand this, that if you work in something, it supports you. Why should the gospel be any different? Why should people working full-time in the ministry have, anything, have to support themselves? But he doesn't just stop there because how many know that, that uh, in the church we don't want to just do what the world is doing, right? We want to hear what God has to say about something. So in verse 8 he says, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It is for oxen. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. So Paul moves on to the scripture. And this, this verse that he's talking about is, is Deuteronomy 25.4, which I learned on Wednesday. Deuteronomy means the, the law given a second time. Joseph was teaching on Wednesday, so you see his, his happiness right now. Somebody was listening. And uh, that's one of the things that we learned. But in Deuteronomy verse, uh, 25, verse 4, it says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. So Paul begins to make a point. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? How many of you guys know that oxen can't read? I've never once seen an oxen pull out a Bible and begin reading and like trying to make his case to the person that's putting him to work. Oxen don't read. This verse was not for oxen. So if this verse isn't for oxen, then what is it for? 
And it's definitely not referring to, to human-oxen relationships. God is much more concerned with you than with your animals or your pets. God is concerned with your life. So if this wasn't for the oxen, what was it for? It was to demonstrate a principle for human-to-human relationships. And you're going to think to myself, Pastor Wayne, you're going to think to myself, you're going to think to yourself, nobody think to myself, that'd just be weird. You're going to think to yourself that, Pastor Wayne, now you're just, you're just fishing. You're just pulling stuff out of thin air. Nobody makes up weird sayings about animals and, and, and means it applies to humans. What about, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Anybody ever heard that one? How often do you use that referring to your dog? You, you use that referring to the eternally young, right? Can't teach an old dog new tricks. It's just a, it's, it, was a common, it was an expression. They were saying that, that people that are working should be taken care of. Because here's what's happening. The oxen, is, they, they put the, so threshing, anybody know what threshing is? Some of you guys don't? Anybody not know what threshing is? Basically, it was how they removed the, the, don't worry, I didn't know until yesterday. I had to look it up. So don't feel bad if you didn't know. But anyway, to get rid of the, the grain attached to the plant, they would throw it on a hard surface, they would attach an oxen to something else heavy and hard, and they would just drag it around. And as it ran over the plants, it would go ahead and, and, and get the grain separated from the plant. And that's how they got the grain out. So imagine if you're this oxen, you're out there busting your butt, you got a big old heavy thing attached to your back, and every time you're like, ooh, grain, I'm going to get a bite, they were smacking you around. Every time, so that's what's happening. And, and it wasn't for the oxen that would say, listen, guys, this is how we should treat one another. If you have somebody out there serving, you have somebody out there working, t- let's make sure they're taken care of, amen? Let's make sure that they're receiving their, their due reward for what they are doing. Just like the oxen should be compensated for the work that he's doing, anybody who's ministering the gospel, particularly those who are doing it for a living, working full-time, they should be compensated for what they're doing. It's not them stealing money from people or taking money from people. They're pouring their lives into people. Should they not receive something for that in return, make sure that they're taken care of and that they're fed? And I'm not talking about... I I don't think anybody ministering the gospel needs to be a millionaire from the churches that they're, they're, they're serving. I think that's a little bit crazy. But they should at least be well taken care of. They should have a, a decent living. They should be able to own a nice house and make sure their kids are taken care of. In verse 11 through 12, it says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure everything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. You see, Paul gave up a great deal to ensure the spiritual well-being of the people that he was ministering to. And he says, he asked him, he says, if if I have done this, if I have worked like this for you, if I have invested my time in you, if I have done these things, is it too much? That, it would be, that, that we would be taken care of, that we would not have to be concerned about money, where we're going to sleep, what we're going to eat. You know, this is actually why that, if you guys have been here for a while, you know that when we have guest speakers in the house, we always receive an offering for them. 
You guys have noticed that, right? And uh, not once has any one of them asked me to do that. None of them have required that. We do that because we want to be a blessing. They've come down and been such a huge blessing to us. They've sown into our lives. They've taught us. They've spoken into our lives. So we want to be a blessing to them. If they've sown into us spiritually, the least we could do is pour into them materially and say thank you for taking the time to come down here. Thank you for being a part of what's going on here. Because the blessing that we receive is so much greater than any amount of money that we could ever give. I want you to know this isn't a, a, a one-to-one uh, tr- uh, transaction rate going on right here. We, we get the good end, amen? And it says, he goes on to say, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? So what's actually going on, and you, you'll remember in the beginning of this chapter, uh, Paul was making his argument about the people that saying, no, we belong to Apollos. No, we belong to Paul. No, we belong to Jesus. They begin to make these arguments of, of who, which minister that they belong to, you know, which sect they were in. And Paul rebuked them for that because that didn't make any sense. They should be serving Jesus, not serving these individual men. Amen? So Paul begins to rebuke them, but obviously somebody has come down and says, is it too much that we, or if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? So Paul plants this church, but now we have other ministers coming down and, and, and working in, in the field that he, he sowed, right? And they were receiving support. That's the point that he's making here. If others are making this claim, do we not even more? And why does he say, do we not even more? Because he's the one that planted this church. He was the one that was there first. He poured everything into these people. And he's saying, are you saying that after that I don't have a right? Don't I even have more of a right? He says, but nevertheless, we have not made use of this right because we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Isn't that a great attitude to have? said that I'm going to remove everything that could stop people from receiving the gospel, who could stop people from receiving a new... I don't want there to be anything in the way. That's the kind of heart that I want to have. I don't want anything to be in the way. I want people to hear from God. I want people to have their lives changed and be made brand new, that they can share in the same treasure that I have in this earthen vessel. And Paul says that I'm ready, I'm ready to put up with anything, endure any hardship. And if you know your Bible history, you know he did. He spent time in prison. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. All these things multiple times for the gospel. And he was so willing to give it all. In verse 13 it says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? He's going to continue on to make his case. Well, this is is what the world says about it. This is what the Bible says about it. And now this is what's actually happening in the temples, in the the altars. He says these these people that serve, they actually receive from, the, from their serving. Even those who are priests of God, they're receiving what they're serving. When they, when they performed a sacrifice, they ha- got to eat from that. You can read Numbers 18, and it talks all about that. The, the priests in the temple of God, they would, they would actually receive, were able to eat from the offerings, what was left over. They were taken care of while they served. 
And this wasn't uncommon even for the Corinthians too because in the, the pagan temples there, it was the same thing. When somebody offered a sacrifice, some of it was burned up, some of it went to whoever made the sacrifice, and some of it went to the priests. I mean, if you remember last week, that was the whole problem because the, the, the food that was sacrificed, what was left over, they would eat it. And the priest, if he didn't want it all, he would sell it into the marketplace, and everybody would eat it. So that's why the big deal was coming from. But they were supported by the work that they were doing. And then in verse 14, and this is where we're going to go ahead and end this morning. It says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Paul explains that the ministers of the gospel should be supported. And how many of you know that, that this isn't just a good idea? It says right here that the Lord commanded. Like, Wait a minute, I don't remember Jesus saying that. It's in Luke 10 verse 7. And when he sent his disciples out, he said, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. And do not go from house to house. Even Jesus commanded those who minister the gospel to be supported by those who they're ministering to. He says the Lord commanded. It's not a good idea. It's not a suggestion. This is a commandment from God. And the reality is the churches are required to honor those who are ministering to them. They're required to invest into them as they're being invested into. And those who serve should be supported by those who benefit from their ministry. Now, this is an awkward one for me to preach, especially because I'm not going to, it sounds like I'm up here going, you guys should pay me. You guys, that's not the case, I assure you. <laughs> We're just going to the book of 1 Corinthians. It's what's next. But, and I will continue to serve without getting paid for as long as I have to because I believe it's important. I believe it's worth it. And the truth is, is there are many here that volunteer their time, that come in on their days off and on Saturdays and work and volunteer, and, and they deserve to be honored as well. Making money should never be the concern of someone who's serving in the kingdom of heaven. They shouldn't have to worry about where their next meal is. They shouldn't have to worry about will they have enough for clothes or rent or the mortgage payment. Because the truth is, is they should be getting taken care of by those who they're being ministered to. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.